Hello, racing fans. Edison Hatter back with another episode of First Over with Edison Hatter. This is a pretty lengthy episode here. We've got a lot of things to discuss. Um, so the focus will be, for the future at least, on the races on Friday, September 24th, 2021 at Woodby Mohawk. But we have a lot of recap stuff to talk about today as we record this. They just held the jugette out of the Delaware County Fairgrounds. Tomorrow will be the Little Brown Jug. Um, we had some Grand Circuit action out at Harrington this past Monday. And of course, there was the big Canadian Trotting Classic card at Woodby Mohawk. So lots of action to talk about. And I'm glad to be joined for the second time on the show by Garnett Barnesdale to talk the action. So Garnett, welcome back to the show again. Happy to be here. Before we start, <clears throat> there's a burning question in my mind. Do you have a nickname of any kind? You know, I think I've been called just about everything. Um, in terms of in the racing industry, I think the Mad Hatter was what uh, Dave yeah. went with in his first press release about me. <laughs> That's kind of sitting right there, right? But I thought, like, you don't strike me as a kind of a mad guy, either crazy or angry. I think you should go with the Glad Hatter instead. You know what? I might have to throw that one out there. Uh, to our listeners that are listening, start calling me that. Maybe we'll, we'll roll with it. But uh, so, yeah, but besides that, you know, obviously off of Edison, I, I've gotten everything through grade school of Ed, Eddie, you know, everything else I'll respond to. So I, I've, I've answered everything. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, Garnett, uh, you know, before we get into racing action, you know, let, 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 let's spend a minute totally off topic. Since we talked about this last time you were on the show, let's talk a little football. Um, so first things first. Uh, your Bills, how about that uh, big win over the Dolphins this past week, bouncing back from the loss to Pittsburgh? Yeah, it's great, and it's funny. Bills fans are so um, – I don't want to use the word negative, but they're just so used to to negative that, you know, if you look on social media and stuff, all any of them are talking about is Josh Allen's not looking that good so far, right? You can't celebrate a 35 nothing beatdown on one of your main rivals, but you got to go there. Um, you know, they have a point, but I, I think he's going to come around. I think – I think Allen might be feeling the weight of that contract a little bit and, and, and just a little bit of pressure. He's, he hasn't really got into a groove yet. But listen, if you can win 35 nothing without your best player being your best player, that says something, I think. And look at your Ravens. What a win. Certainly was. I know we talked a little bit about it online there on, on Twitter. Um, but yeah, you know what? Uh, admittedly, I was feeling a little pessimistic going into that game. Uh, obviously, I was there in person and you know, feel, feeling a little uh, not so great about our chances against the Chiefs, knowing of course Lamar's zero and three record against them. But um, you know, even for fans that weren't fans of the that aren't fans of the Ravens or the Chiefs, I, I think that provided a fantastic, fantastic uh, Sunday night game. I don't know. Tell me if I'm wrong, but oh, it was great. I was and I was saying, uh, you know, when the when Kansas City was kind of running into the pile, I'm like, come on, man, let this ball come out. I was so happy when the ball came out, man. I don't want. You know, I'm kind of sick of the Chiefs already, even though they they only won it once. But that's all you hear about all the time. It's like uh, I, I was pretty happy. I, I like Lamar a lot. I'm I'm one of those guys that's on the fence about you know him as a passer, kinda. But he's just such an athlete and a competitor. How can you not love that guy? Yeah, he certainly is motivated. And I know you know you could tell in the post game conference, a press conference really meant a lot to him. And, and you know, hopefully. Um, the start of good things for both the Bills and the Ravens, hopefully, this past weekend was. But uh, with that quick side chat, we'll get into some racing stuff. So let's start with Woodby Mohawk last Saturday. And um, obviously, the highlight of the card was the Canadian Trotting Classic. But going a little bit through the undercard, um, starting with races two and three, those were the eliminations for the She's a Great Lady. And you have Prohibition Legal and Nikki Hill both winning those eliminations. And, of course, the final will be this coming Saturday. And those two, both undefeated two-year-old fillies, are going to be on a collision course here to meet up this Saturday. Some really great races last uh, Saturday, and it should be a really good final this Saturday as well. 
Yeah, I guess it's going to be a battle royale on, on Saturday. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to go against the local horse, but this Nikki Hill just looks like something else to me, man. Like, if, uh, if, you know, 26-3 and three final quarter under wraps. Uh, she went almost two seconds faster than Prohibition Legal. So she's got her work cut out. But, you know, the Gallucci barn's been hot all year. And uh, James McDonald's got a knack for winning big races now. He's uh, undisputed, the undisputed leader for the O'Brien Award up here. I think he almost has it locked up, and we're only in September still. Yeah, Nikki Hill obviously was one that we got to see down at the Meadowlands um, two weeks ago in the kindergarten series, and I'm still kind of in shock because I'm, I'm looking at the program again here just to remind myself that, you know, I thought she was going to be the favorite, and I figured rightly so, but she was 1-20. to 20. Um, And, yeah, came back at 1-5 to five in that elimination last week. And, and right, did, um, you know, for what times are worth, did come home about two seconds faster, a second and three-fifths than Prohibition Legal, but they both came home in, in sub-27 last quarter. So, again, I, I think it'll be a fantastic battle between those two coming up next Saturday. And um, also, uh, Queen of Success, who finished third in the Prohibition Legal um, elimination, is now four for five, so she just suffered her first lifetime loss. So so there's a lot of uh, good fillies coming up for sure in that race this coming Saturday. Yeah, I actually picked Queen of Success last week. Um, looks like she, you know, she made a move to the front in the, in the second quarter, but was quickly overtaken by Prohibition Legal. And then <clears throat> didn't was kind of one paced uh, near the end of the mile. Joyride Hanover, who was the first leader in that race, um, ended up fifth, shuffled back to fifth at the three quarters. She was flying on end. She finished in 26 and one. And, you know, if she had a few more strides, she would have won the race, I think. So if there's going to be an upset, it might come from Joyride Hanover out of the Nifty Norman barn. Yeah, I believe that was the fastest. Um, just taking a look at myself again one more time. Yeah, that was the fastest last quarter of any of them in those eliminations. So she surely was flying on late there with Tim Tietrich uh, driving. And um, again, it should be a, a great final this coming Saturday. And obviously we'll discuss that in greater detail on my show tomorrow when we, we talk about this upcoming Saturday card. But as we're just recapping, we will once again reiterate that, yeah, Prohibition Legal Nikki Hill both get the jobs done as favorites in the eliminations for the She's a Great Lady. And again, that final will be this coming Saturday. But as we continue to review last Saturday's action, um, next talk about race five. That was the elegant image for the three-year-old Phillies. And Donna Soprano versus Bella Bellini, the Hamiltonian Oaks champion. And Bella Bellini coming from off the pace a bit, wasn't it quite able to get there in the end. I saw out a bit past three quarters, and it was Donna Soprano who won as your second choice at 2-1. to one. Yeah, they kind of traded blows in the stretch, and uh, Bella Bellini might have poked, uh, you know, was, uh, was ahead partway down the stretch, and Donna Soprano re-rallied. So um, I actually picked Donna Soprano in, in my DRF harness analysis. I just really liked uh, her previous race, um, she made two early moves to the front and just the aggression that Bob McClure drove her with kind of gave me signals that, you know, she's back to, to what she was last year or maybe even better. So, um, she kind of proved it last Saturday. So it'll be, it'll be interesting, um, you know, going towards the breeder's crown with these fillies. It certainly will be. And you know, Garnett, we were talking about it. Maybe we'll just slip in the conversation now real quick. So for breeder's crown information for our listeners that may not know, the Breeders' Crown this year are going to be a little different than previous years. So it will be held at the Meadowlands in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And we will have eliminations on Friday, October 22nd with the 6.15 post time. But Saturday, October 23rd, will be a noon post time. And then the following weekend for the finals, Friday, October 29th, for the two-year-old championships will be a 6.15 post time. And then for the three-year-old and older championships will be eight championship races on Saturday, October 30th. But that, too is going to be that 12 p.m. 
noon start time. And I don't know about you, Garnett, but I think it's kind of an interesting concept here. I think it gives the opportunity for European viewers who obviously, especially towards Sweden, kind of Scandinavia, you know, they're big fans of, of the third of the standard bread. So I think for sure they'll be watching and hopefully wagering as well. And it's also a pretty light thoroughbred day. So I think it really gives a good opportunity for harness racing to take a daytime spotlight um, here as, as the Breeders' Crown comes up at the end of next month at the Meadowlands. Yeah, and I love uh, I love afternoon harness racing. I, I, I miss not being at the Jugget and the Jug uh, this year for obvious reasons. I can't get through the border. Um, but, um, you know, one of the other factors is I know it's, <clears throat> it's uh, fall and it's cooler, but you know, if the sun's beating down and it's a nice day out, you get a m- more chance of uh, horses setting records and stuff, which people kind of get excited about. The one, you know, the one um, group that it's going to suck for a little bit are, are the people that are racing the horses. Because, you know, if you're in the uh, last race uh, on Friday night and then imagine you got horses in the first race on Saturday, you're probably not getting much sleep. But, you know, that's the harness racing business some days, I guess. Well, when you're racing for that kind of money that comes with those Breeders' Crown Finals, I suppose that makes it a little easier to get up in the morning. Um, but you make a good point about the times. You know, we've been having a really, really fast track there at the Meadowlands. A couple of, couple of track records being set there um, this this year here in 2021 so far. And for sure, the daytime racing, especially if we get some good weather conditions, which um, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about the Delaware County Fair. Clearly, they did not get ideal weather conditions today. So if we do get good weather conditions for Breeders' Crown, it could be a really exciting card. And um, again, I'm looking forward to it. But um, again, for our listeners, that will be Friday evenings, October 22nd and 29th for the eliminations and finals for the two-year-olds, 6.15 post times. But then we'll turn right back around Saturday during the daytime, October 23rd and 30th with the um, eliminations and the finals for the three-year-olds and olders, 12 noon post time for that Breeders' Crown. So again, something to look forward to at the end of next month. But anyway, we'll dive back. We'll continue on here with our analysis of last Saturday's card. Um, and moving on to that Ontario Sire Stakes Gold Division, the two-year-old Colts and Geldings, uh, that sixth race, duly resolved getting defeated at 1-5. I was so impressed with the way that he he looked in that um, stretch duel against Let's Do It S a couple weeks back that I really thought he was going to get the job done here, but disappointed at 1-5. to five. Yeah, I think it was just a case of um, the winner just getting a really, really, really good trip. Like he was um, – he never really even came off the rail until there was maybe – 12, 15 strides left in the race. And, uh, you know, he had really fresh legs, paced, trotted his last qu- quarter in 27, but the last eighth must have been in 13 seconds. He was just moving so fast. And, uh, you know, uh, he got beat fair and square. Um, that being said, uh, you know, he's uh, he's coming back this Saturday in the Molson Million. Or sorry, the that, that used to be a race for thoroughbreds up here. Way, way long time ago, probably before you were born. The uh, – the million dollar race the mohawk million and um he's a contender so we'll see what happens but yeah i mean he really should have got the job done at one to five you'd think but um like i said star power hanover was covered up and for you know probably 97 percent of the race and and it's you know you see horses like that spring off spring off the rail sometimes or the pylons and and they're full of life and and that's kind of just what happened there really yeah, um, you know, it, it was a disappointing effort there at one to five. Star Power Hanover, your your winner was twenty six to one. Um, and you know, uh, Garnett, I'm sorry, I keep putting you on the spot here. We're kind of bouncing everywhere, but obviously, it's something I'll discuss in greater detail on tomorrow's show when we talk about the Saturday card. But to throw you on the spot for a minute, have you put much thought into that Mohawk Million yet? Um, a fantastic field of ten. Venerable, who I guess has been thrown into Horse of the Year discussion, possibly is a perfect seven for seven. So she's looking to continue her season. 
King of the North, of course, has been a monster for Ray Schnicker. Um, Dover in Motion's a perfect six for six. Dually Resolved, we were just talking about, comes back in the spot, and he's still five for eight and has never finished worse than second in his career. I mean, this is a really great field this coming Saturday. It really is. Um, I'm just trying to open something up here that I sent to Derek Givner. Um there's a couple horses you mentioned you didn't even mention that I kind of like in this race. Too. I say, I mean, the Mighty Hill is five for seven. Selfie yeah. Queen's five for eight. Um, I the, mean, there, there's just, I mean, all, all ten are, are just um, some really, really great two-year-olds. Even uh, you know, if, if you're betting the exotics, this uh, this uh, Philly Valentina Blue, I thought you know she's when she raced last race against Venerable. Um, was in the Doherty, I think, on, on Hamiltonian Day. She she got a shuffled trip. I think she was the the first leader, and she was and she was fifth or sixth at the three quarters, and kind of, you know, she I think she came back on again for third or fourth. But even a, even a, a horse like that, you know, uh, this uh, this Dover in motion. The one thing I noticed about him uh, racing exclusively in Indiana, but he's won all his races by open lengths, and he paced, trotted home in 27 and change in every single one of them. Like he's just so consistent. Obviously this is a much bigger test. Um, you know, from my perspective, I think venerable could be a a generational Philly and, and I think she's the one to beat, but she's got the nine hole and they're racing for a million bucks. You know, they're not going to lay down racing for a million bucks. So it should be a really good race. Even from post 10, I hate to go through the whole field here, but you got this selfie queen, another Philly who's on a tremendous role and she shows a 151 and change mile at, uh, in Lexington, you know, so, um, it's not the easiest thing to, to win a race from post 10 at Mohawk, but it's, it's a little bit easier now that they got the slanted starting gate. You see a lot more horses firing out of there, at least to get position instead of just dropping back to ninth or 10th. So it's got the makings of a great race, especially with the favorite drawn outside. I think if she drew the middle of the gate, I, I would think, it, you know, it might be over by the half, but this throws a bit of a wrench into it perhaps. It certainly does, and we, we won't hold against you for going through that whole field, essentially, because the whole field is, is in with chances. Um, again, uh, obviously, we'll, uh, for my end, I'll discuss it more on, on tomorrow night's show, so I'll save my thoughts for then, and, and to be honest with you, uh, give me a little extra time to think about it, because um, I'm, I'm still deciding which direction to go as well. But uh, yeah, for sure, a really great Mohawk Million um, this coming Saturday, and again, that's going to be Saturday's card, September 25th, but uh, as we continue to bounce around here, we'll continue to go back to last Saturday's card, continuing on with our recap. Um, and that'll take us to that Mohawk Gold Cup Invitational. That was race eight last Saturday. And, you know, I've always said that the Alleywag Hanover was the kind of horse that I've tried to beat a couple times at the Meadowlands this summer, and it obviously has not worked out well for me. So I've kind of given in these last two starts in Canada and, and just uh, singled him in my wagers and just a- a- admitted that uh, he's not going to beat me here. But, uh, yeah, once again, he gets the job done at one to five by open lengths, winning by four and a half in the end. <laughs> Yeah, one of my colleagues uh, that writes a lot of the DRF uh, harness race recaps, Greg Reinhardt, tweeted after the race, Alleywag Hanover's the best horse in the sport right now. Fight me. And I, I, I can't see fighting him, honestly. He, you know, when he, this horse, uh, he, he paces 26 and three third and, and fourth quarters and, and win like nobody close to him. He, he's just so good right now. And he's so much better since they started pointing him to the front. And his manners are so much better. I know, you know, last year um, when he was three, he had some big miles. But you could also see um, when they were using a closing approach, some of those stretch drives on the metal lines, you'd see him run in really badly, right, and kind of swerve and stuff. And he's straight as an arrow now, and he's just he, – he really is the best in the sport right now. I don't, I don't know how you could argue it. 
Yeah, he definitely is uh, putting together a, a really great season now. Um, like I said, that was the hundred thousand dollar Mohawk Gold Cup Invitational last Saturday. Um, paid two forty on the win ticket. Came home in twenty six and three. The final time of forty eight and one. And I mean, if you just kind of look through the stretch calls, uh, he was never or through the, the calls of the race, he, he was never really in jeopardy. I mean, he's on top a length and a half at, at the quarter, then a length of three quarters at the half, a length of three quarters. He's opened up by three lengths in the stretch and just cruises home in that 26 and three and ends up winning by four and a half. So um, for sure, he is uh, very, very talented. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think any, any of us can uh, argue with him on that about uh, him being one of the best right now in the sport for sure. <laughs> I really like the race, the second horse, the second place horse uh, finisher raced Enavant. Enavant's an interesting horse. He, uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't start racing till he was four. And then he amassed a ton of wins in Quebec. Like he won seven or eight or nine in a row in Quebec. And then he came here and he won about his first four or five in a row. And then, you know, he got beat a couple of times like they all do. But, um, this is by far his best race. I mean, he went first up, he only got within a length of alley wag, but he managed to uh, pace home, you know, uh, holding everybody else off for second. He was a clear second. So he's an improving horse for sure for determination. And they seem to be firing on all cylinders the last week or two. I was just about to say, and you know what, as you mentioned that, it reminded me to mention something I forgot earlier when we were discussing some of those earlier races. So Anavant, um, for determination, for Luke Lay, for Bob McClure, Bob McClure, Luke Lay, and determination also won five and six when we talked about Donna Soprano and, and Star Power Hanover. So they won right. both of those, and then they came with the second with Anavant. So uh, for sure, that that's a a winning owner-trainer-driver uh, combination up there um, on a massive level. That's probably an understatement to say a winning combination. They they surely do win their fair share. <laughs> For sure. They had a big night. So race nine next up was the Simcoe, the three-year-old Open. And, you know, I've, I've stuck with the horse. I think I've picked him in everything. And I, I finally get to say a buck about Hanover won, and he was two to five. <laughs> but he did finally win, and also by four and a half lengths. <laughs> it's funny. I always... I'm against them, including in last year's Metro where I had the winner, uh, the $75 winner and the pick five that night. But boy, did I make a mistake picking against him in this race? Uh, I thought it was a two horse race. I thought better son might give him a race, but, um, you know, better son was kind of used up early from the nine hole. And that was pretty much that. I mean, uh, a bucket bets probably never looked better than he did then. So he might be, you know, he might be a horse to contend with as, as the season progresses. I've, you know, he seems to be, for most of the year, he seemed to be a cut below some of the top ones, but you know he had some bad trips in some of these races too. So who knows? He could be peaking at the right time. Although there wasn't really much behind him uh, on this night. Yeah, Matt obviously contributed to the two to five price for him, and and he also did get a really nice trip there. Um, right, that they did duel to the half in fifty four and four, and then he was kind of able to over to take over from there and come home in twenty seven flat final time of forty nine and one. But nonetheless. Always good to see a buck of bet finally getting back to the winner's circle. I know Andy McCarthy always talks nicely of this horse, so does Tony Alanya. So um, good for their connections to see them get a win here in the Simcoe. Nice, and a nice $176,000 purse as well. So they'll get uh, their half of that purse um, for the win here with a buck of bet in the Simcoe. So next, that takes us to race 10, and that was the Canadian Trotting Classic for $606,000. And uh, full disclosure on TVG. At post time, we were kind of talking about, you know, odds and where we expected things to be. And, you know, obviously I know what I discussed on my show last Saturday. I actually ended up saying, especially for TVG listeners, where there was the money back special, if your horse finishes second or third, I kind of thought Spy Booth may have been the way to go. But uh, he obviously didn't get a good trip. I was kind of wrong there. But 
I did point people in the direction that a $100 bill, obviously coming off that six scratch in the New York Sire Stakes where he did tie up and um, Tony decided to scratch it from that spot. I did say that I thought that he was probably, you know, good and back to his normal self if the connections were willing to ship him all the way up here for this race. And he was indeed him good self, uh, winning by a length and a half in the end at nearly 9-2 to two on the board with Andy McCarthy for Tony Alanya. A $100 bill is they. Andrew McCarthy and Tony Lanya take out back-to-back races here, 9 and 10, on last Saturday's card. Yeah, I had Spy Booth on top in, in my DRF analysis, so that wasn't one of my better picks, considering uh, ninth beaten 27. I really don't like the rail post for trotters at, at Mohawk, but uh, guess what? Andy McCarthy worked out the maybe the best trip of the night with a hundred dollar bill. He, he got a textbook second over trip and you could kind of, you could kind of feel it at the three quarters. Like he was swelled up on uh, fashion frenzy's cover fashion frenzy. Wasn't coming fast enough to clear the leader winning ticket. So you could kind of see it coming um, in range was in the pocket, uh, you know, slid up the inside to get second, but a hundred dollar bill was, um, you know, a full value, full credit to the winner. And, and especially the driver who got him the best trip. Yeah, it certainly was. $100 bill winning there. Um, right in range came up. The cone's late for second. Uh, Fashion Frenzy ended up going off as your four to five favorite and did finish that fourth. Ended up first up and right wasn't quite able to clear their overwinning ticket and uh, kind of did look towards three quarters. I agree with you. It looked to that point that the race was pretty well over. The race was on for place. <laughs> and indeed it was. Um, so that was the Canadian Trotting Classic. That was the feature of last Saturday's card. Again, the feature of next Saturday's card will be the Mohawk Million, a million dollar purse for those two-year-old trotters, and that's, again, as we've discussed here briefly, just going to be a fantastic, fantastic field. But Garnett, next, uh, we'll go south of the border real quick, and everyone's attention turned to Harrington Raceway on the Grand Circuit for Race 9 this past Monday, and that was the Bobby Quillen Memorial Invitational for 150000 and Tattoo Artist, who went 118-3 and for three quarters on Hamiltonian Day at the Meadowlands, was your four to five favorite here, and he obviously didn't go one eighteen and three to three quarters here, but it was one twenty two and two, and that wasn't, or that was just a little bit too fast for him. He was caught late in the stretch by none better A, who got that perfect pocket trip. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the result, I mean, it's uh, it's the textbook perfect, absolutely perfect pocket trip. Credit to Mark McDonald for firing out of there uh, from the four hole. I'm sure he knew where he knew what was where Tattoo Artist was heading, so. The key to the race was to, to be sitting in his pocket to have any chance because uh, Edison, nobody else really closed in this race, right? I mean, uh, Jack's legend end finished third, beating three quarters of a length, but he was third all the way, you know, um, and everybody else kind of just kind of just spun their wheels um, as these fractions were being cut. So full credit to Mark McDonald and, and to anybody that uh, kind of mapped out that trip to get a 13 to one shot down. Yeah, it was a very nice price. He was 13-1, to 1, returned twenty eight eighty on the $2 win ticket. And um, at least for me, maybe the one that I expected, I guess maybe if you could flip horses in the results, that was kind of more of what I expected. Jack's legend end from the rail actually did better than I thought he would at finishing third in there. And the one that, you know, post eight, especially on the half-mile track, and to some extent even especially Harrington, I know is really a tough thing to ask, but I really thought Nicholas Beach was kind of disappointing. Um, obviously got away towards the back as expected, but... Um, you know, came on a bit towards the back. I mean, you know, it was a decent back half. Closed five and a quarter lengths on the leaders from the halfway home. But nonetheless, still finished six, beaten by four and three quarters. Yeah, when you're ten lengths back and they're going to cut a 54 and two back half, that's like mission impossible, right? So good for him. He, he picked up five lengths and, and paced a 53 and two back half at Harrington and still didn't take any money home. That's that's almost crazy, right? But that's 
that's kind of the way harness racing is with these these really fast uh, top class horses right now and you got to be near the front unless there's some crazy destructive pace which is doesn't happen very often so anyway so none better a that is your bobby Quinn memorial invitational winner for 2021 at harrington and finally as we continue our grand tour here garnett of the uh, u.s and canada and beyond we'll go next to ohio to delaware county fair ohio today as we're recording now on wednesday night jugette day has been completed Tomorrow will be Little Brown Jug Day, so we'll cover some of this stuff quickly. And in particular, before we start, you know, lately it's been a thing of mine to ask my guests some handicapping questions. And admittedly, I didn't really have one for you this morning when I was thinking through it. And then as I watched the races today at Delaware, the obvious conversation came to me of, let's talk about track biases. So for those that watched Delaware County today, it was in the 50s. It was um, raining. It was windy at times. It was pretty miserable. Um, good for my colleague at the Meadowlands, Dave Brower, and the rest of the broadcast crew out there with Wendy Ross and Roger Houston and uh, Steve Bateman and Dave Biancotney getting through the uh, day as best they did. And uh, as always, fantastic broadcast from them. But, Garnett, for you, the question is, um, I guess, twofold. A, how do handicappers, how should we adjust are handicapping in the middle of um, a card based on the track bias? And most importantly, how do we identify that track bias? I think you need to be, if you're, I mean, obviously if you're watching the races closely, you need to see things that are unusual occurring. So if, um, if favorites are going to the front and not holding on, which was the case in some of these races, then uh, you could maybe assume that, um, the front end is maybe not that good. Or uh, conversely, uh, how I how I identify speed bias on a harness track, I mean, let's be honest, it's kind of a speed bias sport now, right? So I'm talking about identifying extreme speed bias. is not so much what's happening on, with the leader, but um, if there, nobody's passing anybody in the stretch, right? That, then you know there's something going on. If, if, if they're if they're the horses that are first, second, and third at the three quarters are finishing first, second, and third in most of the races, and you don't see any horses kind of gaining ground, um, I think you can. There's a pretty good, clear, pretty clear observation that it, that there's a, a big track bias on the front end. So I think it's it's just as important to watch horses from the back to see if they're closing, you know, as, as also uh, with the leader because in many cases um, the leaders are going to win anyways, right? Uh, as as they do. 60 to 70 percent of the time so that that can kind of help you and, and maybe assist you in getting some long shots into the exotics that figure to leave and, and stay there in, in some of those cases so um it's important to know what you're looking for and to find it early because it doesn't do you any good to find to figure out in the 19th race that speed's no good well i mean i guess it could for one race but you want to take full advantage if you can yeah, certainly, and I think today you know this is a great example we're kind of looking through these charts from from delaware ohio today Whereas in race two is a great example when Mission Accepted, who is a very, very heavy favorite at one to nine or one to five, goes to the front and stays there and wins. That doesn't really tell you much about the bias, right? Obviously, as, as he did what he was expected to do, and he was so much better than that field anyway that he wins anyway. And by the way, I think I hear Mission Accepted, heard on the broadcast today, is going to stand um, pretty soon here at Stud um, after this season. So this was possibly one of his last starts he's now a 33 time winner from 86 lifetime starts something close to that maybe 32 for 86 let's go with that um but i think you learn a lot more from say races one and three today where in race one the even money favorite holds the lead most of the way and then tires and gets past late and race three 
where you have a horse that has the lead as your second choice and ends up getting passed late. Or well, sorry, and they dead heat actually for the win, but nonetheless gets caught. And of course, we saw this later in the day um, in the jugette and in the eliminations and the final, where the winners were all from off the pace. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, I don't know if maybe in the final, uh, Dave Miller, the driver of uh, Test of Faith, got psyched out psyched out by that a little bit because. Um, you know, when I, when I see a favorite drawing the rail in, in, in the jug head or the jug, I expect the pedal to be the, to the metal. So I don't know if he got psyched, psyched out by that, thought first over was going to be the best trip. It was a good trip, but it also provided the best trip to the, to his really the only horse that could beat him. The only mare that could beat him was Scarlet Hanover. She got a perfect second over trip and, and came by him late. So um, I'm not sure that, that taking back was necessarily the best approach in, in that specific race for the favorite, but we'll never know. Yeah, so uh, just to backtrack, I guess, real quick, we talked the eliminations. Um, so Scarlett Hanover ends up winning the first elimination. It was actually the second choice behind Michaela, who uh, I now get to feel stupid. I believe I called Michaela a couple times. I was kind of debating it uh, when uh, she was at my place at Freehold a couple weeks it, ago. It for the like New Jersey. Michaela. What was that? It's spelled like Michaela. How would you know? You know, to be fair, I think, you know, there's a lot of times I'll do this with, with announcings when I'm not sure. I'll go listen to a previous re- replay, so I don't mean to throw anyone else under the bus, but I think someone at some other track that she had raced at recently before coming to Freehold to call her Macala as well, so I'm going to semi-put the blame there. But um, nonetheless, so she was the 7-5 uh, favorite. Scarlett Hanover was 3-2, to two, and uh, Michaela Macala did have the lead through three quarters, but as we talk about that bias, uh, Scarlett Hanover and Tim Tietrich, he looked very confident and just kind of a sword by late, did he not? <laughs> he did, and you know what? We're talking about biases, but there's one thing you can never underestimate in Delaware is how ready Ron Burke has all of his horses, right? And um, so I think we got you also got to give some credit there that Ron Burke had Scarlett Hanover ready to, to pace two of the best races of her life today, and, and she did it. And then as we look to race 17, that was the second elimination. Test of Faith, who went off at 1-5, to five, came from off of it, was fourth early on, and ended up getting there late. Um, and it was a half-a-length win, but it was a very confident drive from David Miller. He definitely had had a good bit left there, I think. Yeah, it never seemed really to be in doubt. Um, she was always kind of going forward, so, so that kind of set the stage. And... Uh, you know, like I said, I wasn't really expecting, I cer- certainly wasn't expecting in the final uh, a number eight horse to cross over for second early. That's very unusual in the Jughead or the Jug, almost unheard of. Nashville, Elgena crossed over. So I think Miller kind of made his mind up before he left that he was going to kind of take back and, you know, come, f- come from off the pace. But it might have worked against him because, it, like I said, it gave Scarlett Hanover an absolutely perfect trip. That it did. And, um, yeah, the, you know what? It did kind of pay off for them, though, to be fair. Paul was bet Hanover at 43-1 to left, and Nashville Elgena left as well from post-8, got the pocket, and while they weren't on the board, they did finish right behind in 4th and 5th, so it uh, might not have been totally not worth their time to leave there. Um, and then, yeah, Scarlett Hanover does win, as we already here discussed. Test of Faith finishes 2nd. It was 2-5 to five on Test of Faith and 5-2 to two on Scarlett Hanover um, in the final and then really the only other horse taking much money, and the one we haven't talked about yet, was Oakwood Annabella. This was an Irish bred who was undefeated coming into the day. She was 6-for-6 six six overseas, and she was 2-for-2 two two so far here in the U.S. And um, considering her defeats today, I, I don't think she was terribly disgraced in those two losses um, in, no. in the jugette here. 
she definitely didn't lose anything today. I mean, she, I thought she was really good in both races. Uh, you know, she's sixth at the three quarters in, in the final and comes on for third. It's really hard to pass horses at Delaware under any conditions. Um, it's, you know, that, that, that wire comes up really fast. If you ever, I don't know if, have you ever been to the jug? I've not, you know, I really wanted to this year and, um, that that's for sure going to be on the list for next year. <laughs> well, you got to get there, but uh, you, you'll see it's, it's a pretty short stretch. So I don't think she lost anything today, uh, with those two performances. If anything, I think she proved that she belongs and she's probably going to be hurt from maybe she's, you know, she's better on a little bit of a bigger track, but, uh, uh I don't know if she's, uh, she'll be in the breeder's crown and she probably would have to supplement, I guess, but, um, you know, she's not she's not outclassed against these Phillies at all. Well, I'm not sure about uh, how your week how your week's been going in Delaware, but for me personally, I don't think the stretch is that short. It seems like whenever I have a horse that's on the lead, I've gotten caught a couple times in that uh, stretch. So if it, could, if it could be a little bit even shorter, that'd be even better. <laughs> yeah, I haven't made that many bets. I hit a pick four today early. Um, uh, unfortunately, it was four favorites in the first four legs. But I got Tietrich down with a with a horse that was six to one in the morning line, so I made it. You know, I made some decent money on it. But uh, in the third and fourth leg, I think I went four deep in both and got two one horses at three to five. So, uh, but I'll be, yeah, I'll probably be dabbling a little bit tomorrow. I think pick fours and pick fives are great bets at this track because if you get one long shot, they pay. Like we, we two years ago, I couldn't miss, and I think I brought home about three thousand dollars US, and I wasn't really betting that much. You know, like small tickets, but. If you can get one one trick horse in there that nobody else has, um, you can you can do well. Yeah, and I mean, if we're talking payouts in terms of the Jughead final, now, admittedly, I admit that I, I consider myself a pretty formful player. I know it's not for everyone, but for me personally, I really didn't see anyone but Scarlet Hanover and Test of Faith really in those top two positions in the Jughead final, and I think it was almost. It was over eight to one. I think it was like nine dollars and twenty cents for the dollar exacto for Scarlet Hanover over Test of Fate. So personally, I think that was a pretty good payout, all things considered. I mean, obviously it's not life changing money, but for those two, I think it was pretty good. That was an excellent payout. So that paid eighteen dollars for two bucks. Yeah, I believe it was nine twenty on, on the dollar, if I remember correctly. So yeah, I, I thought greater really than eight to one on that was was pretty good. <laughs> really good payout, especially for the two inside posts in the final, and and uh, elimination winners or heat winners, right? That's a really good payout. I agree. Um, actually, let's see. Actually, it was even better than that. It was nine seventy. Wow. Yeah, nine seventy for a dollar. So pretty good exact payout there for sure. And, and even the trifecta returned uh, twenty two thirty for a dollar. Which again, I think the next logical, especially if you look at the betting odds, was Oakwood Annabella. <laughs> yeah, you can um, only use you can only you can only use the three next in that race. Come on, it's it's just the jug, the inside post that that paid great. Yeah, I mean. Look, if you go one, two, three, two, one, three for ten bucks each, you, you're doing very well. Yeah, so for sure, I have some good good payouts there, and hopefully they will continue tomorrow. And um, oh, I don't know, Garnett, any other performances to talk about here on the card? Uh, for me, the one I'd like to bring up is in race six today. Was it race six or race five? Rather, race five in the bucket in that first division. Hot as Hill, I'm always kind of impartial to the horses that I've had the chance to call at Freehold, but Hot as Hill um, was 2-5 to five in the Lady Suffolk back in May at Freehold and ended up disappointing, um, made many breaks throughout the mile, but still kind of hung in there actually and finished third. Um, but she came back with authority this fall. She's won three in a row at Freehold um, in the New Jersey Sire Stakes, and then I know she was 1-20, to 20, but nonetheless, I thought a very good performance in the Buckett today to win by six and, and three quarters in the end. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. Uh, I, I would agree with that. Um, 
I kind of like race 11, the, the, the eight horse one reach, I guess it's reachers or reachers caviar. You I don't think have there's Rikers see, on the broadcast. I Rikers. think Rikers. <laughs> you don't have to see uh, horses come from dead last to, at the quarter to win. Granted, I mean, the final three quarters was in about one, 133 and change, but uh, it was still exciting to, to watch anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And a big price too, 21 to 1 with David Miller. Um, and yeah, it was, was 11 lengths out of it and dead last at the quarter and just got up by a nose. There were some really close finishes today. We had a lot of photo finishes, that dead heat today. So some really, really great races for sure. Yeah, hopefully they get a little bit better weather tomorrow, but I don't know. Um, so talking about tomorrow really quickly, I guess for sure we'll just discuss quickly the uh, jug eliminations. Not sure if there's anything else to highlight on there. I know... Um, they were talking on the broadcast today. We do have, yeah, race 15, that Ohio Breeders' Championship. There is the undefeated Gulf Shores, 5 for 5. Draws the rail, though, so that might make the race a little less interesting. I don't know. I'm always impartial to um, undefeated horses. I always find those kind of intriguing. Um, but for the jug, it's race 16 tomorrow and 17 for the eliminations. And Luz Perlman at 2 to 1 will be your morning line favorite in the first elimination. And I'm very disappointed that that's that six scratch that Luz Perlman has on that line from August 14th at the Meadows. I was filling in that day for Jeff Siddick, so I was looking forward to getting a chance to call him, but unfortunately he scratched that day. Yeah, Luz Perlman is, is going to be the horse I picked to win the whole thing. Um, after what I've seen today, Burke's got his horses on their toes. Um, this horse is in tremendous form right now. And, uh, you know, inside drawing in his elimination, I mean, for, you know, from what I'm looking at here, he's – he can't be more than one to two to win this elimination, can he? I don't think. I mean, maybe the, which way to the beach from the five hole is going to take some money. Third in the NA Cup, but post positions usually is everything in these races. And from the two hole, I, I kind of don't see him getting beat here. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. That'd be my selection as well. Um, Lewis Perlman here in the first elimination. But um, as you mentioned, post position is everything. So when we talk about that second elimination... And, you know, if you could do uh, futures betting, per se, like kind of sports style on who will win the jug tomorrow, I would have to think this is probably your favorite for the whole thing. Probably a, kind of a lukewarm favorite would be Perfect Sting, but um, post six tomorrow in that elimination. Yeah, that's uh, that's going to make it interesting because you got at least, I'd say, three levers to his inside. So where's he going to leave fourth? Is he going to float out and try to keep going to make the front i mean i'm not sure you know uh my gut feel is that dexter dunn's going to try and go down the road with rocky road handover and he's not letting anybody go not not after the way he raced in the na cup when he blasted you know uh blasted and managed to get position and hold it most of the way i think um um, he's got the speed. He's got the rail. I, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I think Perfect Sting's probably going to end up first over in this race. I, you know, I'm, it'd be crazy to suggest he's not going to beat two horses and, and qualify for the final. But um, you know, he, he might have his work cut out if, if winning this elimination, which means a lot. Yeah, um, you know, Rocky Road Hanover, that, that's kind of some bitter mem memories there from two stars back. I almost liked Rocky Road Hanover to beat Bulldog Hanover. At least I included him, I believe, on my ticket and thought that maybe, just maybe, he could get to the front and hold it out there. But uh, alas, Bulldog Hanover was just too good on that night. Um, but yeah, for me, uh, here, I I'll, I'll take one more chance with Rocky Road Hanover with that logic. Um And yeah, you know, to be fair, it's, it's always kind of a question on eliminations like this. 
perfect sting. We'll see how much he necessarily gets used. Um, and obviously, you know, they obviously would like to win the elimination and get that one or two post position for the final. But obviously, um, priority number one is for sure ensuring that you're fourth or better to make it into the final. And um, speaking to it, Garnett, I guess we haven't said it for, for maybe our more novice listeners listening in. So the way that it works in Delaware, Ohio is um, obviously for big races like the Hamiltonian, there are eliminations the week before, and you get the top five finishers from two eliminations back for a field of 10 for the next Saturday. But the Delaware County Fair is unique in that the Jugette eliminations and the Jug um, eliminations are on the same card as the final. So today's 16th and 17th races were the eliminations for the Jugette, and race 20 was the final. And likewise, tomorrow, races 16 and 17, these eliminations, and races 20, the final. So um, I, it provides a different type of racing. It's kind of cool to see them go twice in the same day. I don't know what your thoughts on, on this type of uh, racing is, but I think it's a really cool thing to watch. Well, at the risk of getting uh, getting uh, electronically electrocuted by the masses, I loved it when it was three heats. It's exciting, right? It's I, I understand that you know these horses are go much faster than they used to, and it's harder on them and stuff. But from just just from a pure 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 sta- fan standpoint, boy, I couldn't get that out. Um, it was really exciting when they went three. But yeah, I, I love the two heats. It's it's what <clears throat> it's kind of what makes the jug unique now, especially right that uh, the Hamiltonian is not doing it anymore. So it's, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, and it's like I said, I haven't gotten a chance to. Um be there in person as we've discussed but i've got to imagine that's a pretty exciting um anticipation you know between the eliminations and you know waiting for the draw waiting for the program page and you know get ready to go for this final so um for sure it makes for a really exciting day i'm sure it's a it's a long walk to the uh, top the press box which sits on top of the grandstand so do it before you get old like me so you, you can you have some spring in your step when you're going up there i'm i need i usually need a nap by the time i get inside the press box well, hopefully I will make it next year. And again, hopefully it will be better weather. Um, so I think for the weather forecast tomorrow, it's still a little bit on the colder side. It was mostly through the 50s today. I think we're still looking at the high tomorrow somewhere in the 60s, but I believe we're dry. So hopefully that'll be good. But nonetheless, um, obviously there were concerns this morning of even racing at all. So I've got to give right. um, credit to the Ohio Harness Horseman Association and, and the track crew there and the great work that they did to even um, get this card on today and do it safely. Um Obviously, we had no accidents, nothing negative at all. So um, great credit to the people out there for being able to put on a safe performance today for Jugette Day. Yeah, they always do a good job with the track. Um, and and it's funny because every year that I've been there, it's been hot like you're at the equator. Um, even though it's the third Saturday in September, I don't know what it is, but it's always in the high 80s. And it's And if you're... Like if you go down, let's say to the infield for a race or two to take pictures, there's no shade down there. You just die out there. So it's interesting that it was uh, rainy and cool. But I think if it's dry and in the 60s tomorrow, that would be a great time to be there because it's like I said, it's usually so hot there. Yeah, I was told the same thing for Hamiltonian Day, and uh, of course, I kind of got lucky this year. It was a little bit on the cooler side. So, um, but uh, nonetheless, should be a great day tomorrow. Um, but Garnett, we are uh, we have. Spent a lot of time on this recap, so really quickly here, we got to get into our future handicapping for this coming Friday's card, September 24th, 2021 at Woodbine Mohawk. Um, as always, listeners out there can join us at woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs. Get your free programs and follow along with us. As always, we'll give out some early pick five tickets here, talk a couple of featured races, and let's just jump right in. Race one on the pace for 12,000. This is Phillies and Mares, non-winners of 3,000 in the last five starts or non-winners of 7,000 in the last 10 starts. And um, so, Garnett, I'm going to take a stand here 
with the four mea culpa, who I know you use as well. But for me, I'm going to make her a single. We're going to start the night with a single. She is making such a significant drop in class here um, that she has not been seen at this level, obviously, in quite some time. I think she should get the job done here on the drop. She does. She has one in the past. She has three wins this year, five last year. I know she doesn't show a whole lot in those last lines, but I think on the drop, she will for sure be the one to beat here. So that is my single, but you use one other horse. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you something you don't know. She was actually seen at this class level on Tuesday night, and she jogged. But that I'm sure that chart's not in your program. You know, I saw the line to be announced, and I wasn't sure if she raced there or not. And uh, my own fault, I meant to look that up. So she That's did. Okay. So she did race that. I'm here to help. Anyways. Um, well, yeah, well, it gives so, me more confidence. <laughs> so they double-entered her, right, which you can do. So the first one doesn't count. So she's an obvious, um, you know, she's a horse that people are probably going to use a single. But I'm going to give give you t- give you some more information here. So the last time number one Spring Bridge Vision, that's a mouthful, shipped in from Rito Carlton was on April 2nd. She was coming off a race where she broke and finished fifth and a race where she finished seventh. She had nothing on her lines. On April 2nd at Mohawk Park for numbers of 5,500 last five, which is one level higher than this race, she was on the lead at the half and won by five. So you might want to consider, even though you look at this uh, this mare's form and go, well, she's nothing special. Um, you might want to consider that if you can look back far enough, you can find this and maybe use her on a backup ticket. That's the only reason I'm using two horses. Otherwise, I'm with you with Mia Culpa. I was wondering why you included her. She's 8-1 on the morning line. That's why we get you on the show, get you Woodbine experts there. That's some really good information to have. So what were her odds that night, out of curiosity? You know, she was only 7-1, to one, which kind of should have been a tip-off because, like I said, if you if you had the ch- if you could see her chart lines coming in from Rito, they're, they're nothing special, just like, just like it looks here, right? Which is, makes me more reason why I want to use her. Okay, so she starts at 8 to 1 on the morning line. We'll for sure keep an eye on her on Friday night. It might be one I even might throw in as well. But for, for officially on the record here, I'm singling the four. But, uh, yeah, before I put my ticket in, I'll definitely keep an eye on that. Luckily, it's the first race, so we'll get a chance to see the odds before i got to put in the ticket. So one and four for you, the single to the four for me. As we go to race two, Ontario Sire at stake, three-year-old Phillies, grassroots starters in 2021 on the per, on the pace for 18,000. And we're both going pretty deep in here. You are using the two, the three, and the four. Yeah, this is a tough race. I don't even know if I have enough of them. I'm probably going against some of the favorites, but uh, my logic here is I like she's a sassy beat. She paced a 26 and four third quarter, uh, first up uncovered last time, and she still managed to come home in 27 and three. That was a much better race than she's been showing. So I think she's sharp now could, and could offer an overlay. The four, she's got it all. She's right there every race. She does well with Trevor Henry in the bike. I think she's going to be a threat. And the two, um, I know I noted, uh, like many horses, does her best worth work with McNair in the bike. He's there. To, he's there on Friday night, and uh, she's another one I'm using. But you know, there's others you can use, and you might be. You're probably going to be different than me. I would imagine. Not a whole lot different than you. I, I use the two, the three, and the four as you for similar reasons. But um, I also use the one, the morning line favorite voluptuous from the rail. Gets a much better post roll. She's not seen the inside half of the gate here in some time. And she does come off of a win two back against similar company. Um, led most of the way, but disappointed at three to five last week. But uh, just out of curiosity, is the reason why you go against her here? Uh, probably for that reason that she disappointed at three to five. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking for some value. Like I said, can she win the race? Sure. There's, I think there's probably five horses out of seven that could probably win. Yeah, she definitely will be the favorite. Um, you know, obviously some places trying to kind of take a stand, other places for me, I kind of like to think some legs I'm just trying to 
get through and survive to the next. So this one for sure to me, at least is just kind of a get through and survive kind of a leg. Um, definitely a tricky race. So the third leg of this pick five race three is on the trot for 14,000. This is nine winners of 5,000 in the last five starts or nine winners of 10,000 in their last 10. And we both are using three or four horses in here, but we do use some different numbers for you. It's two, four, eight, and nine. For me, it's one, two, three, and nine. So we'll let you talk about yours first. Uh, this is uh, the first thing I wrote in my analysis was three words, tough race here. And, and it really is. Um, why am I using Nevermind N on top? Uh, he raced better in his first start out of a new barn. That's the main reason why. Eight Arcanum uh, takes a class drop. He keeps McDonnell in the bike. He had, you know, a few questionable drives before McDonnell got on, so he might be able to get him across. Uh, the two exemplars' recent form is improving, so that's why I used him. And Water Rush is interesting to me because I think there's errors in his chart line. Um, I went back and watched the replay to try and see where he broke because he's got a break in stride. And I discovered that he was never fourth at any point in the race, which it shows the, the one that I look at, I don't know about yours, shows him as racing uh, fourth in the stretch, I think. And I didn't see him break either. But the one, the one reason I, you know, used him is he, he's a closer that might, you know, this ring might, might fall apart and fall into his lap. But I think, uh, I don't think he can take his last chart line at, at uh, face value because I think it's wrong. Yeah, I, I have the same uh, lines there, so that's that's an interesting one. And um, so for you, it was two, four, eight, nine. For me, it's one, two, three, nine. So I'm with you on the two and the nine, but I include the one and the three. And admittedly, Garnett, I'm hoping um, our listeners will forgive me for being a little bit busy between preparing things for Freehold and the Meadowlands as well this weekend. I didn't quite get a chance to look this replay up, and I really meant to, but I'm trusting with your wealth of knowledge, maybe you can help me out here a little bit. The three HP Bruxelles, I used this one. Um, what was up with her last race? Because she leads the first three quarters. She's second at the stretch. And then she finishes 10th distance as your even money favorite. There's no break on the line there. So um, do you no, have a little from, insight into what happened there? From what I remember, she went off the course. Like She just kind of veered off the course and then um, just kind of sputtered. I didn't see. I didn't necessarily see her break. So I, I don't know. Like I had her singled that night. And after seeing that, I, wanted, I want to beat her now, especially since – you know, people might forgive that line and, and better again, but I, I can't better off that. Yeah, so now that I know the information, I, I would, I guess, put myself in that category for giving her if that's the case. Because, um, you know, it seems to be reasonable fractions. I mean, 126 and 1, 27 and 4, 57 and 1. So very reasonable fractions of three quarters. And then, right, just all of a sudden finishes 10th. Um, was even money at this level. So I think you're right. She uh, is probably going to take a significant amount of money here. Um, but the other one I use is the one head-turning Jag. Uh, hasn't had the rail for a while. and You know what? I like the effort back on August 14th with the rail when he, Trevor Henry sent this one early, had to lead most of the way, and ended up getting caught late, finishing third, beating only by three and a quarter at uh, – or three-quarters of a length at 19-1 to one that day. So I'm going to throw him in as well. So it's one, two, three, and nine for me here in race three. All right. So race four on the pace for 18,000, Phillies and Mares, non-winners of 9,000 in their last five starts, or non-winners of 19,000 in their last 10 starts. And we're pretty similar here once again. For me, it's the one, two, and three, and for you, it's just the one and the three. Yeah, I'm going to be kind to Louis Philip Watt because he's driving my Philly in the first race tomorrow night, but I think uh, he'd probably want to have that drive back on Game of Shadows last week if he could. Um, dropping her back to second last just wasn't the ticket, and he ended up being fourth over. Um, you know, she ran in a little bit at the top of the stretch when he tried to point her outside. I think you're going to see a much different drive on her. 
uh, on this night. And I think it's a horse you, you need to have on your ticket or a, a filly anyways. And the other one, I think, you know, the obvious filly in here is setting a precedent. She's just, um, when she brings her best race, my Lord, she, she closes like she's shot out of a cannon in the stretch. And she's coming off two of those wins. And, uh, she, you know, she's the one, she's going to be the one to try and hold off in the stretch if she's got clear sailing. So to me, it, it's really, this one's kind of really a two, two Philly race. Yeah. The other one I throw in is the two town delinquent who obviously gets some post relief off of some tougher posts, but, um, for the three game of shadows, just to talk about her, just a, a quick, another second here. She's six to one on the morning line. She was one to five in Ontario Cyrus State company last week. And this is now a conditioned event and right, where obviously it may not have been the best drive. So what do you think her price is tomorrow at post time? I think, or, she's or Friday second, night? I think she's the second choice. I think everybody that bets Mohawk knows about that race. They're probably going to show that replay on the pre, pre-game show. I think setting a precedent will probably be the clear favorite off her last couple starts. And Game of Shadows should be the second choice. She's not going to be anywhere near 6-1, to one, I don't think. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I've got that note here as well in my program that I was trying to kind of create my own little line of what I might think. And I, I, I think she will be a little shorter than that for sure. Um, so race five for $157,200 on the pace. It's Ontario Cyrus Stakes gold three-year-old Phillies. And for me, you know, I, I saw you use the two and the four. And for me, I, I almost did the same thing. And it actually would have made my ticket cost the same as yours. But I, I actually decided to just take the single here with Vol's Delight. Um, she's hit the board in all 11 starts this year. She has five wins. She's raced well in the fan handover, a second and a third in there to fire start handover. Um, obviously has some big class lines there. So I'm just going to choose to take the single there for me, but I know you're going to throw in the four, the barn dogs watching as well. Yeah. You know, she got in a really perfect trip last week, but by the same token, she took a new life's mark of 50 and change. So she's peaking and she's capable. I think, does she have races where she's beat Fool's Delight? I'm trying to see. Maybe not, but she's she's been close to her in other starts. I, I, you know, I can't argue with, with singling Fool's Delight, but my ticket's still pretty economical, so I'd like to have a shot at getting a higher a higher payoff if I can, and I don't think the Barnes Dogs watching is impossible in this spot either. Yeah, she's been close before. It looks like she was about two lengths back of Vol's Delight um, back on August 2nd. That was a Grand River, and she was actually the favorite in there, the Barn Dogs watching over Vol's Delight. So um, for sure, those two have hooked up a couple of times in the past, and I uh, can't blame you for sure for trying to get the better price there. Um, so as we recap those tickets, for you, it is 1-4 with 2-3-4 with 2-4-8-9 with 1-3 with 2-4. That's a $19.20 ticket. And for me, it is four with one, two, three, four, with one, two, three, nine, with one, two, three, with two for a $9.60 play. So, Garnett, we got about five minutes left here, so we will quickly run through a couple other featured races on this Friday evening program, starting with race eight. That was the Ontario Sired Stakes three-year-olds, the grassroots starters in 2021 on the pace for 18000 And the morning line favorite here, Stonebridge Rex, three to one on no plan intended. And there's five others in here. It's a field of seven. What do you think about this race? I, I like the top two morning line favorites. I like No Plan Intended a little more. He uh, he blasted to the front from the eight hole, sat a trip, came on again, was only beat half a length. I think the horse that beat a Mustang Beach got a you know a really a really perfect trip. Um, managed to find his way out in the stretch after doing no work. He draws a seven hole this week, so he's kind of a toss for me. And the horse you got to beat is Stonebridge Rex. I mean, I know he only 
was won by a head, but that, that century Hannibal horse that he beat that night is pretty good, right? To be able to stick with him in a 50 and four mile, uh, Stonebridge Rex is probably going to be in the front. He's the one to beat. I'm going to take, uh, no plan intended to shade him, but to me, it's those two. I agree with you. For me, it's also uh, pretty much the exact same analysis. It's also no plan intended. But in particular, I'm interested to see the betting here from the public because I suspect Stonebridge Rex will be the favorite. But no plan intended also went 50-4. and four. They went the same time. Stonebridge Rex came home a little quicker. But ultimately, I, th- I think they raced pretty similarly last time out. And if no plan intended is going to be the better price, I-, I think for sure that's the direction to go. Um, a little bit better than post-8, of course, this time out. And really, he's had some bad luck in general. Th- those uh, last six posts, they are 7-9. <laughs> Four, nine, nine, and eight, and that post four resulted in a sixteen and three quarters length win at Dresden um, at one to twenty. So for sure, here at Woodbine Mohawk, those other five at Woodbine here, he has gotten no favors with posts. So post five, hopefully a little bit better for his chances. I'm pretty sure that was also the fastest mile ever paced at Dresden ever in its history. I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure of that. I believe that's correct. I think it might have been you when we talked about last time, but some other guest, I believe, on this show may have said that in the past. I think it was you as well. I think we discussed that before, and I believe that is correct. <laughs> okay. So the other race to discuss on the card for Friday night, it's race 10, top-level conditioned event. It's Phillies and Mares non of 28,000 in their last five starts for a purse of 26,000. A field of seven in here, and which way did you go in here? This is where we find my best bet, number five, watch me now. Um she left uh, left hard for position in the Milton. Then she had then she went first up in her Milton elimination. She's only beaten a length and three quarters uh, for everything in that race, which was a really good race. And missing that final, um, you know, she comes in here and, and really takes a massive class drop. I think uh, I'd be pretty surprised if Watch Me Now and got beat in this race. I would as well. Definitely one to use, but maybe underneath. Um... The six Kendall Sealster, I think, is an interesting one. Just for some of those last quarters, she's coming home in some really fast times. Um, but to be fair, she's been racing against kind of similar. It's kind of been disappointing. Like, not winners of 16,000 last week, finishing sixth in there. Um, Hang on a the second. Other- Hang on. She was racing against the boys that night. That's a totally different uh, ball of wax. Okay, yeah, so she was there, um, and she did come home with 27-2 that night. Uh, you know, that was also a bit of a tough trip, I thought, but from post two, um, so, nonetheless, I throw her in underneath. Um, Better Be Donna's also been a pretty solid one. It's been pretty good form lately. Um, so, four, five, six, is that kind of the major three for you as well, Garnett? Or was there someone else you considered un- underneath, possibly? I had a five, six, four. Um, I would use Lions Tilt Hanover probably in the third and fourth slot if you're betting tries and supers. She always seems to be passing horses. Um, she might be a little bit outclassed here, but she'll still pass horses in the stretch coming from the back. So we are both with the five. Watch me now. And you were saying that is your best bet on the Wood by Mohawk cards. That's a good note to close on for this coming Friday evening. Again, um, that is this Friday, September 24th, 2021, 7 p.m. First post time. There are 11 races on the Friday evening card. And Garnett, am I correct? The 12 races on Saturday? I believe 12. I think it's 13. I got to That's my yep, next. It is 12. Uh, we also have 12 races on or 12 races on Saturday night at Wood by Mohawk this coming weekend. Um, and again, woodbine.com backslash mohawk backslash free hyphen programs to get your free program for this this weekend's action at Woodbine Mohawk. Um, Garnett, as always, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You're now the second uh, repeat guest. Robert Reed Jr.'s got you beat now. He's been on three times. We'll have to get you back for a third time sometime soon. <laughs> Glad Hatter, the pleasure was all mine. And anytime you need me, I will be, make myself available to be on your show. 
That is fantastic. And uh, for anyone that wants to continue the conversation with either Garnett or I, you can find Garnett at at GoCashKing. For me, it's at Edison underscore 1999 underscore. And we will wish everyone listening the best of luck in your wagering the coming days. Um, Again, if you're listening to it tonight here or sometime soon, it might still be Little Brown Jug Day or soon to be Little Brown Jug Day. So best of luck if you're betting out there in Delaware, Ohio. Um, And best of luck this weekend if you're betting at Woodby Mohawk or anywhere else you may be wagering. And we will talk to you next time.